Father, we thank you for your love and grace in our lives, and we thank you for this evening that we can gather and worship you, Father, and just get into your word. I pray, Father, that your word would go forth, that it would affect change in our hearts and minds, and continue to conform us to the image of Christ, which is our ultimate desire, Lord, of why we come. And so we thank you that we can worship you and praise you. And, and most of all, Lord, we thank you that we don't have to clean ourselves up to come to you, that we come just as we are, and you receive us by grace. You shower us with your love and your mercy, and you forgive us for our sins. And, and Lord, we just come before you broken and wounded, and Lord, yet we leave healed and mended and whole. And so, Father, I pray that as only you can, that you would remind us of your grace tonight, Lord. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, not just in the singing of praises to you, but in the reading and application of your word. Give us wisdom and insight as only you can, Holy Spirit, as we dive into this passage this evening. Help us to make um, changes to our hearts and minds that things need to be changed. Help us be aware of what you're doing, Lord, and how we can conform to that. Father, again, we thank you for this morning. What a blessing it was to be able to worship you. And we pray that you continue to just, again, be with us this evening. And uh, thank you for this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are going to continue in our, um, I really don't even know what to call this, uh, just kind of our study through God's Word, I guess, um, where we're giving you guys opportunities to um, write down observations, notes, and things like that through the passage. And so I'm going to hand out... Uh, our passage in just a moment. And so uh, we started in Psalms and did that for many weeks. Um, last week we were in Jeremiah 29. And so hopefully you guys were able to either maybe read the full chapter or spend a little more time there uh, over the week. And that was an encouragement to you. Um, it was kind of really amazing how this week in our um, Bible study, our men's Bible study, we saw how that really uh, spoke to something very similar to what we talked about in Jeremiah 29. So it was a really cool connection. Loved that. So tonight we're in Luke chapter 11. So I'm going to give this out to you guys and then we'll dive in and break it apart. There are clipboards up front and pens if you would like a pen. There you are. There you are. I could have grabbed that for you guys. There you go. Still got legs. Oh. oh, Betty needs one. And then I'll get Jeff and Greg. Pens are on the front row, bud. There you go. There you go. Oh, and TJ. Uh, you want it back there? Or up? Okay. I just dawned on me. I was like, wait, where are you going to be? All right. That's everyone. Good. Anyone else need a pen? Anything of the sort? No? All right. So, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, very popular passage. And so, um, I, I want to take, moving forward, we're going to kind of somewhat take familiar passages, really spend some time on them, um, and just enjoy getting to know those passages even better. Um, and as I've said every week, I have no idea this format. Um, yeah, amen. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I, I personally love... Uh, doing this with scriptures and passages. It's just really just writing down, breaking it apart. Um, I feel like it really brings more to it. So uh, we'll keep going. Um, I don't know how much longer or what passages yet. Every week it's kind of, okay, Lord, where are we going this week? So um, sometimes it's passages that I feel are, again, uh, with Jeremiah 29, uh, a verse or a passage that maybe 
gets pulled out of context sometimes and applied in, in wrong ways. Sometimes it'll be that, just growing and understanding what that actually says in the context. Sometimes it'll be just familiar passages that we do know, and it's not that we're taking them in context, but maybe we can learn and grow something through them. So I'm um, going to give you guys, again, probably about 10 minutes. Uh, it's not a crazy long passage, but there's about 13 verses. I guess there's not about 13. I guess there are 13 verses. Um, so we'll give you guys about 10 minutes to go ahead and, and just kind of note up the paper, uh, make some observations. Uh, again, if you see things that are repetition, uh, locations, uh, specific things being spoken about, um, obviously this is uh, a familiar passage about prayer. So maybe there's something in here that involved in the prayer that you would note as something that stands out to you or opens up your understanding of that idea of prayer. So spend about 10 minutes. And then we'll come back and, and break it apart.
All right. Well, we'll go ahead and jump into the passage. I'll give you a couple things uh, just to jot towards the top there, uh, just some references of things. Um, so the first thing I want to kind of share is the uh, parallel account of this uh, is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We see this uh, example of prayer mentioned there. Um, and also, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit here. There's another passage I'll give you where uh, we see Jesus praying very fervently and effectively as well. And so uh, we want to jump into these 13 verses. And again, we're not looking at the entire chapter of Luke 11, um, but we are getting a very good example, a good sample size of what's going on here. We're reading all of this in its context. And so I'm going to break this apart a little bit. So uh, verse 1, let's just jump right in. So verse 1 we read here, uh, And it came to pass that uh, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And so the first thing we need to note here is that Jesus is teaching them to pray. That's the whole point of this. He's going to teach them to pray. That was the request, right? Teach us to pray. So what Jesus is going to do then is fulfill that request. He's going to teach them to pray. Also to note, uh, this is the only thing, and you've probably heard this before, this is the only thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. The disciples never requested to be taught how to preach, right? The disciples never requested, teach us how to heal, Teach us how to cast out demons. Teach us how to lead music. Teach us how to do 4-4 and conduct. And they didn't ask those questions, okay? Now, all relevant questions, depending on what you're doing, and I wish the Spirit would have taught me how to do that conducting stuff with 4-4 when I had to take my, mu my one music class in college. And uh, it was the only music class pastoral majors were required to take. And the professor literally said, I'm only going to teach you what you need to know until you can hire a music person. So it was pretty much like, you guys are not going to do this for a living. I'll get you by until you can find and hire someone to lead music for you. So they didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to do those things. Now, do we see the disciples preaching in the New Testament? Yes. Is music involved in the New Testament and singing and worshiping and praising? Yep. Are they casting out demons, healing, doing these works? Yeah. So they, they didn't need to know those things, but they understood there's something key, something vital, that if we can get this, everything else will fall into place. And that's kind of where we see them really putting their emphasis. If you can teach us this, and we'll talk about why that is, then I be, they believed we'll be fine. If we could just pray like you pray, then we'll be fine. So he's going to teach them to pray. The first thing that we see here with this teaching them to pray is he's going to teach them and has taught them already by example. And honestly, the best way to teach is by example, right? You can read a lot of things in a book and you can learn things that way, but they, they've said it before for a long time. The best way to teach something is to show it practically, right? To demonstrate it before someone. And now they not only hear it, they can see it, they can get in there and, and do it themselves. And this is really discipleship. Discipleship is teaching others by example. What's the best way to teach someone today as a follower of Christ? You're working with someone and they want to know, how do I study the Bible? How do I, how do I read and study the Bible? The best way to show them is not just handing them a book on how to study the Bible. That's fine, right? That's beneficial. But what's the best way? Study the Bible with them, right? To get in there and show them how you study. What's the best way to show someone how to pray? To pray with them, 
right? To show them what that looks like. And so here we see Jesus doing that exact thing. Something you need to note in verse 1 is uh, how is Jesus praying? How is Jesus praying here? What do we read about the prayer of Jesus, at least the type of environment he's praying in, maybe location? Okay, a certain place. Okay, if this is an area that he's in for a period of time, maybe this is the spot he goes to to pray because they know he's there, right? What else do we read about this idea of prayer? And, and what can we learn from this example that Jesus is setting forth? Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that tell us about how Jesus treated prayer? It was important. It was valuable. It was vital, right? It also means it's okay to set a designated time and to tell others, please don't interrupt me while I'm going to be praying. We're not being arrogant, right? Or super spiritual, like I'm praying, you know, it's, no, we're setting a time. It's important to me. Please don't interrupt me. So he had a, a request at least, or at least they got the impression we don't interrupt him when he's praying, right? But we also see not only a consistent place, but apparently a consistent habit of prayer, right? He prayed often. So what do we, what does this teach us about Jesus's prayer life? That it was a certain place. So he had a designated place, a time. He, he didn't get interrupted. He did it often, right? Also, he prayed openly and privately. He prayed openly. They, they saw it. They knew what was going on. He wasn't, this wasn't a super private prayer, meaning that they couldn't find him because he was hidden away somewhere, okay? So he would pray openly and he would pray privately. So what does this teach us about how the disciples saw prayer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they see it's important. What else does this teach us about the, this, the disciples' view of prayer? Yeah, Greg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not just vital to us and important, it's a necessity, right? We have to have prayer because if Jesus being the son of God prays consistently and often, we are not the son of God. We need it even more than Jesus does, okay? What else does this teach us or is there anything else? I'm sorry, I should say it that way. Is there anything else that this teaches us about how the disciples saw prayer? Okay. So when you say something to it. Like in the sense that, like, because they were like, because they even said, even as John, yeah. his disciples, right? So it's just like, and I was like, is that like a song thing? Like, hey, and everybody else is saying, like, is, are they asking that? Because, like, you know, I don't know why. I mean, sure. maybe it's exactly what Greg said as well. You know, because I think obviously this is a Jesus thing, and it's like, well, he's got to do it very clearly. Then we really need to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
Yep, yep. And we're actually going to break that apart and get more into that. Because I do, I believe there is a kind of an answer to that, but we'll get there in a second. But I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. This kind of shows me, like, think about it in a different way. Um, teach me to wire that plug over there. That would imply to me, number one, I'm assuming I can't just do it without the right knowledge. I'm not just going to jump into the wall and try to do it without being taught. So that tells me they could be thinking there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. We don't want to pray in a wrong way. We don't want to pray in the ungodly way or the unholy way. Apparently, there's right and wrong ways to pray in their mind, right? And we know there are things that we should pray for and things that we shouldn't pray for, right? James says we don't pray for things just to consume it on our lust, okay? So there's aspects of prayer that they're looking at going, okay, we see the outside, we see the surface approach of prayer. Is there a right way to do this? Is there a wrong way to do this? So that shows me their desire is to honor God and to do it the right way. If there is a right way, like teach us, we need to know these things. Okay, so there's a desire there from the disciples. Uh, before we move on, any other thoughts on that before we move on? I don't want to cut anyone off if anyone else had a thought on that. Because obviously there's some level of opinion on this too. We don't 100% know. We're just kind of assuming some things based on the text. So they say, specifically, as Avi brought up, they said they wanted to learn how to pray in the same way that John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Now, something to note of interest, right? Many of us probably know this or have read this before. Maybe it just hasn't registered yet. Um, Which of John's disciples are also now Jesus' disciples? Remember, John the Baptist had disciples, right? Two of John's disciples became Jesus' disciples after John baptized Jesus. Okay, Andrew and John. Okay, so John and Andrew. Remember, actually, Andrew was one of the first disciples. Okay, so Andrew and John, it says that they were with John the Baptist and they began following Jesus. And this is when Jesus turns around and they're following him for a while, which I've always thought is kind of creepy to think about. Like, I imagine Jesus is walking, and they're like 10 feet back, just like walking behind, whispering, and Jesus keeps looking back like, what are you guys? And he actually says, what are you after? What are you seeking? And they basically say, we just want to go where you go. Like, wherever you go, we'll go. And this is that famous part where he says, well, I don't have a place to lay my head. I'm not going any one specific place. I don't have a house. I don't have a home, right? Again, kind of flies in the face of the prosperity gospel. It's like, you have the favor of God. You'll always be blessed and healthy and wealthy. And Jesus had the favor of God as God, and yet he went without basic shelter. So they begin to follow. And then we know the story, right? Andrew motivates and goes to Peter. John and James, the son of Zebedee, we see their relationship. And you see how, again, they become followers of Christ. And then what's the immediate desire? We need to get our family to be followers of Christ and to make sure they know, right? We see this often. If it's not always family, it is like usually your closest friend, right? We need to tell people about this, and we go to the people that we care about the most. So here, when it says in verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples. Now, we don't know which disciple, right? We don't know which one it was. But one of them said to Jesus, teach us. So I would circle one and circle us. So this is one of the disciples, but he's asking a request for who? All of them. He's saying, we all need to understand this. And then he says, as John also taught his disciples. 
So my assumption, my guess, I believe based on context of Scripture, this disciple making the request was most likely either John or Andrew. Because who would have the greatest knowledge of how John the Baptist taught and discipled his followers? It would be one of the two that spent the most time with him out of the 12. So my, when I read this, I always think, I tend to think it was most likely John. Only because of his connection to Christ. His, his ability to seemingly just speak freely to Christ. Remember at the, the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. There's a couple things about this. What do the disciples do in reaction to that statement? They gasp. And they, is it me? Every one of them begins to think it could be me. What does that tell us about human nature? We all know that at a moment's notice, we could betray Christ. Okay, that's really what it says. Is I don't, you can almost imagine them thinking in their minds, I don't think I would do it, but he's Jesus. He's the son of God. He knows maybe I will. Maybe I will betray him, right? So they begin to ask, what does Peter say to John? Hey, ask him. Ask him, is it me? Is it, who is it? Now, why does he ask him that? Because John was sitting closest to Jesus, right by his side. Now, it says he was uh, in his bosom or on his bosom. That doesn't mean he was like snuckered up to Jesus. Like, mm, Jesus. Okay, well, that's what it means, okay? He wasn't like cuddled, cuddled up to him, okay? What it means is he leaned in close and said quietly what he said, okay? Now, interestingly enough, John had a relationship with Jesus that was so known among the twelve that Peter, the loudmouth of the group, who usually didn't have a problem saying whatever he thought, didn't just ask openly. He said, hey, John, you ask him. Now, I don't think Jesus loved John more than he loved Peter, right? We don't read that, obviously. But their relationship, apparently John felt more comfortable, at ease, maybe. I don't know, freer to say these things. The other interesting thing about this side note, who was on the other side of Jesus? John's on one side. Who's on the other side? Judas was, because he was able to dip with him. So here you have the beloved, right? The one that Jesus loved on one side, and the one that betrays Christ on the other. And I've always been amazed by that picture in my mind. And I believe that in churches today, well, in Christianity today, under the umbrella of Christianity, you have those who are followers of Christ, sitting right next to Jesus, wanting to grow, wanting to learn. And equally so, you have professing non-believers, so they profess they're Christians, but they're not, sitting on this side of Jesus, looking for what they can get from Jesus. And at the drop of a hat, they would betray him in a heartbeat. So again, you see this picture playing out here. So again, side note to that, I guess that's not really in the text here, but I tend to believe that's why I think it was John. Now it could have been Andrew. What is Andrew known for as a disciple? Okay, yeah, he brings people to Jesus, right? He did that with, I believe it was the, the Gentiles that came seeking Jesus, and, and they didn't know, is it okay it's for them to go to Jesus? We don't know, is this okay yet? Is he allowing this? And so they come to Andrew first, and Andrew goes, let's just go ask Jesus. Let's go to Jesus, okay? We also see that he brings the, the lunch that turned into the feeding of the 5,000, right? And I tend to believe that he didn't just take the lunch, go up to Jesus and go, here, I found this. I tend to picture it as he brought the one that had the lunch to Jesus and said, this is what this young man's offering, okay? So it could have been Andrew in a sense that he was very, again, close to Jesus, but I tend to just think it was most likely more John, as in John and James, the sons of Zebedee. Also, we can note here that this tells us something about John the Baptist. So again, we're getting a little bit more into this verse and seeing that this tells us not only about the disciples and Jesus and their views of prayer, but how John the Baptist viewed prayer. Uh, John the Baptist was a man of prayer, and the, the disciples saw a similarity 
So you can make a note in your notes there if you'd like. A similarity to how Jesus prayed and to how John prayed. Right? So John or Andrew, or maybe there was communication and they kind of talked among themselves. You see a similarity between John's prayer and Jesus' prayer life. And I want to read uh, just a snippet from uh, Warren Worsby's commentary on the New Testament. And uh, he's going to talk about this idea of John the Baptist and this idea of prayer. But I wanted to read right from here, so just a little bit, so bear with me. But, um, so Warren Worsby says this. We usually think of John the Baptist as a prophet and martyr. Uh, and yet our Lord's disciples remembered him as a man of prayer. John was a miracle baby, those are Worsby's words, filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born, and yet he had to pray. He was privileged to introduce the Messiah to Israel, and yet he had to pray. Jesus said that John was the greatest of the prophets, Luke seven twenty eight, and yet John had to depend on prayer. If prayer was that vital to a man who had these many advantages, how much more important it ought to be to us who do not have these advantages. I thought that was an amazing way to look at that. All these advantages that John the Baptist has, all these things that were in his favor, and yet he depended on prayer. And I believe we cannot disconnect the ministry of John the Baptist from the prayer life of John the Baptist. Now, what do we usually think of a John the Baptist? What usually comes to mind? Okay, the baptism or baptizing, because he did it more than once. His clothing, his diet. Everybody's like, oh, he was this crazy man, right? Which is actually fits better with an Old Testament prophet than a New Testament apostle, right? When you read the life of John the Baptist, he sounds like an Elijah-type character, right? Just different, okay? But that's the whole point. He was the final Old Testament prophet, and he was the one that bridged the gap. But we can't forget, yes, he had crazy wardrobe and he ate weird things to us and he was kind of known as a wild man or whatever. But why was his ministry so effective? Well, number one, it was in the will of God. But number two, it, it was infused with prayer. It was empowered through prayer. And so I think John the Baptist was a man of great prayer. I think that's also how he was able to have the mindset that he had when they came looking for him and they said, hey, are you the Messiah? And he says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Why would he have that kind of humility? Because he was a man of prayer. So here we see this is why I believe, going back to what Avi was kind of speaking to there, maybe where that idea of, hey, we want to, we want to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Uh, it could also be John noticing things in the disciples. Maybe John was watching the disciples and he kind of went, man, there's some conflict here. There's some pride. There's some you know, I'm better than you kind of a thing. And maybe John thought, you know, if Jesus teaches us all to pray like John taught us to pray, and we saw how that affected us as disciples of John, maybe that will grow us as disciples of Christ. Maybe we'll overcome some of these things. But in, however you look at it, this was the request. So we're going to look at verses 2 through 4, verses 2 through 4, and we'll talk about this part of the passage, and then we may have to just I don't know. We'll see how we do. We may have to stop there. But, so verses 2 through 4. So I'm going to read it for us, and then we'll talk about it. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what is this prayer called? A couple different names for this prayer. So what are the names that this prayer has been given? 
Okay, so yes, it is called the Lord's Prayer. I like that, the Disciples' Prayer. That's, I've not heard it quite said that way, but that's good. I like that. What's that? Yeah, don't look so unsure of yourself. You were right. You're like, the model prayer, I don't know. You can't actually shake your head no as you're in. I, I don't think it's that. Um, the model prayer, right? So in my opinion, that's what I call this, the model prayer. Now, I like the disciples' prayer, so that's good too. We can, we can obviously put that down. Um, oh, okay, yeah, well then, that, that's, that's fine. Um, so I steal all kinds of stuff from him too, so it's fine. Um, so here we see this. Uh, model prayer, disciples prayer. Um, and then we do talk about in scripture, there is an example of the Lord's prayer, right? So what's the, where would you, where's the Lord's prayer found? Yeah. You don't have to, if you don't know the passage, you can maybe reference the idea. Yep. Yep. So that's in John chapter 17, right? So John chapter 17, we read the Lord's Prayer. Um, He actually prays for himself and his relationship with the Father for the glory to be revealed. That's how he opens up. He's kind of talking about how God, the Father, would reveal the glory. Then he moves to praying for the disciples, right, as they begin to minister and do this great work. But then he actually prays for the church. He says, "I'm I'm praying for those who believe upon the word of the disciples. That's us, right? Those that come to Christ based on the word of God. And so that's really the Lord's prayer. So the Lord's prayer, John 17, the model prayer or the disciples prayer here in Luke 11. So Jesus lays out some keys that should be present in our prayer life. Now, to be clear, this is not a prayer we have to pray verbatim. Okay, now this is where some people have gotten really caught up in this. Um, is there anything wrong with memorizing this prayer? No, it's the word of God. Is there anything wrong with praying verbatim this prayer? If you wake up in the morning and you, you open your prayer time with this prayer, is that wrong biblically? No. The problem comes when we just start reciting words. We think this is all I need to pray, or this is all that I pray, and I pray these specific words, and there's no heart. There's no substance. There's no emphasis in this. I'm just doing this rote prayer, okay? So there's nothing wrong with praying this prayer, but also there's more to prayer than this. This was not Jesus saying, this is all you ever pray. What was their request? Teach us to pray. So how do we pray? He didn't say, teach us every exhaustive thing on prayer, (laughs) right? Because we see things in the New Testament that reaffirm this prayer, but also different aspects of prayer. Not right, not wrong. When when, uh, Paul's prayers are recorded for us in his epistles, he doesn't pray this specific prayer, right? He prays for specific things for the church, but he doesn't pray this specific prayer, The greatest example that we don't have to pray this prayer verbatim is we just referenced the Lord's Prayer. Did John 17 record the exact prayer that Jesus is here? No. So Jesus is saying, here's an outline of prayer. Here's an idea of prayer. Here's the the keys in prayer. So just curious, we're going to try to break apart these different requests, but uh, just throwing it out there, food for thought. Um, What aspect of this do you find the easiest to pray for? Like, as an example of prayer, what part of the model prayer do you find the easiest to pray for in your own way, in, in your own prayer life, 
But this just seems to come natural. You just seem to kind of, well, maybe supernaturally through the Spirit. But you just find yourself, this is something you pray about often in your own way. So what aspect of the model prayer do you find yourself praying the easiest or that comes the most, I don't know, natural? Okay. You know what I mean? Like there's Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I get what you're saying. Yep. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Yes, okay. So easiest would be just the idea of recognizing who I'm praying to. Sure. Again, kind of coming to, yeah. Right. So then we can move into, like what Avi was saying, the requests, the necessities, or interceding for someone else or, or whatnot. Yep, Sandra? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And that's kind of what I, th- that's like the Job prayer. It's like a recognition of who I am, who he is. I'm not him. I don't like what's going on, but obviously you know better, so I'm just going to shut it up. That's what Job says. I'm just going to shut my mouth. And that's kind of when I think of the Job prayer. Like I just realize who he is and who I'm not, and it puts me in my place. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on the easy, maybe, aspect of this that you find yourself coming, praying to the easiest, or it seems like it just kind of where you tend to find yourself in prayer at times? Any other thoughts on that? All right. So what do you think, and you don't need to answer that last little bit, just looking over that prayer again. So look at the request again. Okay. What would you say, not so much for you, but just in general, would be the hardest thing in this prayer to pray? Well, I can tell you. Okay. Okay. Right. Who are indebted to me. Yeah. Okay. And I love that phrase. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Not because of him, right? But because of our stubbornness or rigidness. How many of you, you guys agree with that? You think, how many of you think that's the number one hardest thing in this prayer to pray for, for believers? You guys agree with that? I would say so. I would think having to pray. And I think I say that because of this. I think humanly speaking, the hardest thing to do is to forgive other people consistently when, and if we don't feel like they're getting theirs, if we don't feel like justice has been done. Right. Right. The big things, though. Yep. Yes. And that's what I mean. So in those moments, that part of this specific prayer becomes the hardest. Is it impossible? No, it's possible. But I think when we're praying through our prayer time, that's the thing we're probably going to save to the end. We're going to try to not, we're not going to start off with that, right? If that's what we're struggling with. Any other thoughts on that? The hardest aspect of this prayer. Yep. Yeah, I only prosper thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And I agree that that's the two things in this prayer that I feel are for Christians and followers of Christ. It's the hardest thing for us to consistently apply. But it's interesting if you note those two things, what is the father's will that we forgive? So if we pray and apply your will be done and we're in the right heart in that, what will come is forgiving those who have, are indebted to us. If I'm not asking for his will to be done, I'm not focused on that, it's going to be a lot easier for me to not forgive because I'm not seeking his will. And notice whose will's being done. It says, as in heaven, so in earth. It's not as so in earth, as in, it, it doesn't start here and we go to heaven. It's that will there, your will here, not our will there. There's a difference there. So let's break this apart. And I'll give you some ideas here of what uh, I just noted down with this model prayer. So a couple of things that I, I kind of just worked through the, the prayer. I made some notes and then um, I tried to summarize it in a simple way to understand for me. And so I'll kind of share with you how I, I can put it together. So the first thing we see is we recognize the holiness of God's name. That's that first phrase. Uh, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be thy name. So we recognize the holiness of God's name. This is where we depend on his person. You could say character. After I wrote this, I thought, well, maybe character would be better. But we depend on his person, who he is. That was kind of alluded to, right? The next thing we see is a desire for a kingdom mindset, not an earthly mindset. So first we recognize his holiness. We depend on his person. Then we desire for a kingdom mindset, not an earthly mindset. So now we're depending on his will. So we depend on his person. We depend on his will. Then we see what? Avi alluded to this. We recognize he provides for our needs. Now, as what she said is true, most Americans don't really literally go day to day not sure what they're going to eat. Now, the reality is there are people in our country 
that go day to day with no food. We know that. It happens. But as a whole, as a nation, that's not as common. But when I read verse uh, 3, I think instantly of Exodus and manna, which we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. Right? They literally had to depend daily bread. We need daily bread. We don't have it without you. And so again, the idea here is not saying it's wrong to have bread for the next week. The point is dependence on his care. So we depend on his person. We depend on his will. We depend on his care, his care for us, not just in food, right? In any and all aspects of need. By the way, as we alluded to John the Baptist, we are very needy people, right? We need to depend on him. We also see then a calling out for forgiveness, right? We ask for ourselves, and then we ask that we can forgive others. And I mentioned it before, that the word indebted, I find is an interesting phrase in the prayer, right? Those that are indebted to us. I think of the example when Jesus told about the man that owed, owed all this money, right? And he comes before, and they were going to put him to, to prison and all this stuff. And then they show mercy and forgive him and send him out. And then he finds a guy that owes him much less money. And the Bible says he grabs him by the throat, right? Where's my money? And starts shaking him, okay? And then the guy says, I don't have it. Give me some grace. And he throws him in prison. Well, what does the master then do? The master then comes back and says, you now are going to be held accountable for that debt. And so again, we see this play out a few different ways in the gospels. And so this idea of not only calling out to be forgiven, but we're willing to forgive others. And I love that it's the idea of being indebted to us. Uh, we were indebted to Christ for our sin. And the only one that could pardon the debt was Christ. And he did that through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why I love that later on, Jesus is the judge, right? Jesus is the one that's going to judge and given that authority. And he's the one that pardons us in his own sacrifice. So we see his care, but here we see his grace. So do we depend on his grace? Then we see this idea of forgiving others. That's where we depend on his spirit. So to be forgiven, we depend on his grace. And to forgive others, we need his spirit. Julie alluded to it. If I'm not focused right, and if the spirit is, if I'm not listening to the spirit, I'm going to be stubborn about this thing. But when I'm in tune with the spirit and allowing the spirit to lead me, I will forgive. It, like what she said, it just takes time. And again, the time isn't the spirit, it's us. So then we see, lastly, this idea of temptation. The idea of looking to him when we are tempted, and this is depending on his strength. So do we, depend on, do we depend on his person, his will, his care, his grace, his spirit, and his strength? All of these things we are dependent upon. And when we pray, we express our need and dependence on the Father. And that dependence should be and is constant. So if our need to depend on those things is constant, then our prayers must be fervent. And the next week, we're going to dive into that next portion, and we're going to talk about the fervency of prayer, okay, the fervency of prayer. And so again, just a reminder about that example of prayer. Jesus felt it was valuable. The disciples saw the need for it. They connected the ministry of Christ and John the Baptist to prayer and wanted to know how to pray. So what does that tell us? Our need for prayer is, well, as already said, if they needed to pray this way, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, then we have no reason to think we don't need to pray as much or more, right? But one of the things that's neglected the most in Christians' lives is prayer. Now, that's not my own assumption or my opinion. That's what people have told me. So many people over the years have said, you know, preacher, I just don't pray like I should. You know, I just don't pray like I should. I know I need to pray more. I know I need to pray more. And I don't know if always equating time of prayer to quality of prayer is a good idea. We always tend to think if I pray longer, it's better. 
Okay, well, more of something that isn't being done right isn't better. So if I have a poor attitude or an apathetic heart or I'm not depending on him and I'm just saying words, you might say a lot of words, but you've not really grown in any way. You've not really prayed. So the time of prayer isn't so much as important as the quality of prayer. Now, does that mean we have to pray certain theological words and certain terms and titles and all that? No. I love, I believe it was D.L. Moody, and I always forget if it was D.L. Moody or Spurgeon or one of those men who are obviously much, much, much more intelligent than me. And I think it was D.L. Moody that said the greatest example of prayer is a cry. It's just a cry of the heart. It's just where you just cry out. It doesn't even have to be specific words or theological terms. It can just be your heart crying out saying, God, I just, I need you. Or I'm depending on your care, your character, right? Your person. I'm depending on you for all I need, your spirit, your grace, okay? I need your strength because I'm being tempted. All those things show our dependence. And when we cry out to him, he's our father. Isn't that how verse one started? Our father, intimate relationship, our father who is in heaven. I want to be what you want me to be, and I need you to give me the strength to do that. So again, we'll dive into verses 5 through 13 next week. Any uh, closing thoughts or comments before we close in prayer on what we've talked about tonight or maybe another aspect of that passage that we looked at so far? Any other comments, questions, or thoughts? All right. Well, with that, we invite you to our Wednesday evening prayer meeting. That's just impromptu. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, if you're available, we'd love to have you. I know a lot of you guys do attend, but we do have Wednesday night prayer meeting every Wednesday night, so we'd invite you to be a part of that. We get into God's Word, and we also spend time in prayer, so we'd love to have you there. And then also don't forget, we have our gap uh, area set up down the hallway here on Sunday mornings. Um, every Sunday morning, the light's on, and it's an open place to pray. Just go on in, have a seat. You can pray by yourself. You can pray with someone. Uh, whatever God's leading is, it's just a chance to pray and get our hearts ready, our minds ready for the service to come. And so we invite you to do that as well. All right, let's pray. And we'll ask the Lord to be with us as we leave and head into our week. Father, we do thank you for being the God that you are, holy and righteous and true. Father, we thank you for being a God that is one that we can trust, that we depend on desperately for all our needs. And Lord, we do depend on your person and who you are. We depend on your strength, your grace, your spirit, your care. And Father, we, we cry out to you in our weakness and in our needs that you might fill us with your spirit and help us as we go into this week to see opportunities to make you known, to show that grace and forgiveness to others, Lord, and to genuinely ask for your will to be done, that we would have a, a kingdom mindset, not an earthly mindset, that we would depend on your will. Now, Lord, we're, we know there's parts of your will that we'll never understand. There's things that you're doing that we can never comprehend, and that's fine. We don't need to. But in the things that are revealed to us and the things that you made clear to us through Scripture, I pray that we would depend on your will. And as what was said tonight, Lord, with, with what Sandra shared, that, Lord, there are many times in our lives where things happen or continue to happen that we, we don't really want your will to be done. And, Lord, I know that sounds so non-Christian and so unspiritual, but, Lord, the truth is, and I believe you receive this because you want us to come before you honestly and boldly in what we're feeling. You welcomed the psalmist when they would cry out to you and ask why and, and why now and why like this. And Lord, I believe many of us have that same question. 
We really, in, in Christ, we want your will to be done. But when we see it happening before us, Lord, we question, maybe, maybe I really don't. And so, Lord, I pray you'd give us strength and understanding that, that we would grow. And as we're going to talk about next week, that we would trust you as we depend on you. That we don't need to fear you in regards to you not being the father that you say you are. We fear you as a holy God, yes, but we don't fear you as a stranger. We trust you as our father. So I pray that you'd help us to grow in this this week, that we would dedicate time to prayer. And maybe it's somebody here this week, Lord, that has tried to start a consistent time of prayer and have come up short. It seems like they just can't make that schedule work. I pray that starting tomorrow morning, that they would wake up and make a commitment to begin the day with prayer. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complex. Whatever the cry of their heart is, that they would acknowledge their need and dependence upon you and then look to you continuously through the day for wisdom and guidance. That at the end of the day, they can lay their head on their pillow at night and know that by your grace, they've done all that they could do, not perfectly, but striving to do all they can do to honor you. Father, again, we thank you for all of this. Thank you for prayer. What a beautiful gift it is. And it is a gift in Christ that we are allowed to come before you as your children. So, Father, again, may you glorify your name above all things. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.